It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey everyone, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. So excited to have you all here. And we are continuing our uh, sort of broadcasting this in lots of different formats. We've traditionally for years been doing this on the radio, turning this into a podcast. Uh, As the uh, sort of pandemic hit, we got a little bit more, uh, I guess, experimental. And we started doing YouTube and a lot of people were tuning in on, on the video and enjoying that. So now we're experimenting even further and we're doing today. LinkedIn Live, Facebook Live, Periscope Live, and hopefully it's on YouTube. We're testing that today. So lots of different fantastic platforms for everyone to tune in and to find out more about the show and to interact with our incredible guests. So let me tell you why the Talent Talk Show radio show exists. Maybe this is the first time you're seeing us. Uh, Maybe you're tuning in after a long break. But this is really an opportunity for me to interview spectacular people and learn from them pick their brain. What are they thinking about? What are they worried about? What are they reading? Um, And what can we learn from them and take back to our businesses? Um, And this is, you know, really something that I've done for years. And I realized that I was having these one-on-ones with people and I was getting the benefit of it, but nobody else was getting the benefit of hearing what they had to say. And so we decided to turn this into a radio show. Why not let everyone else hear what I get to hear? Uh, from these amazing people. And so we've had so many wonderful stories that have come out of uh, of the of the show over the years. In fact, a lot of them went into my first book, The Power of Company Culture. You can find that wherever you buy your books. Um, and then also with, of course, with the pandemic, there was so much happening that was unique. Uh, my co-author and I, Kim Shepard, released a book called Remote Work. So if you want to hear some of the best stories of my own journey, her journey, and then all of our fantastic guests, what they were doing and how they're making remote and flexible work work for them, well, you know where to find it. Go on Amazon or wherever you find your books. We are there. So Talent Talk is live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but most of you catch us on the podcast or YouTube or iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. Wherever you're finding us, just subscribe. That way you always know uh, when a show comes around and you can learn from our guests. So the last thing before I bring in and tell you who my guests are today, um, Angela, my social media coordinator, is also live tweeting all of this on People G2 on on Twitter. So if you want to interact with us there, we're also trying to get some of those comments and interaction on LinkedIn. So if you want to interact with us or with our guests and ask questions or debate what we're talking about. Those are the two places that would be best for you to go to make sure you can, we can access that. So my guest today, uh, first we'll bring in uh, Stacy Sherman, founder of Doing uh, CX Right, 
CX meaning the customer experience, of course. And then after the commercial break, I'll bring in Jennifer uh, Zemeski. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Usually I fail. Uh, Founder and president at Well Run Concepts, Inc. But let's go ahead and talk about my first guest, Stacey Sherman. She's a keynote speaker. She's a Forbes writer. She's a podcaster. So she should do pretty good at this. She should be a good guest here if she's a podcaster. She's an author. She's a founder, of course, of Doing CX Right. Uh, where they focus on the customer experience and employee engagement. So uh, welcome to the show, Stacey. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you? You know, what did I miss or what's important for us to focus on, you know, about you and your background uh, to help our listeners understand who you are and, you know, what, what, what cool things you're doing. Yes. So I am living, breathing customer experience by day and by night. And what I mean by that, I am head of customer experience at a global organization by day and love what I do in driving employee engagement and measuring customer satisfaction and doing something with all the insights we get to improve experiences. And then by night, I am podcasting and writing and doing what I love to help mentor others to really do it right so that there's greater satisfaction and loyalty on a global scale. Yeah. Well, you sound a little bit like me where you can't sit still. You always got to be doing something. So we, uh, we have that in common, which is great. You know, I think one of the things that I, I have learned over the years is how we really need to focus on the human perspective first with our employees, with our clients, with our vendors. And one of the silver linings, there were a few that came out of the pandemic was, I think there was a good shift. There was a good uh, recognition by managers, by leaders, by organizations that maybe we need to slow down and really think about our employees, really talk to them, um, really look at them as individuals, right? Instead of maybe as numbers or as in groups. So I'm wondering how, you might define or what you might think we need to to really focus on if we want to humanize business yes two things one empathy 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 (laughs) (laughs) three things no really empathy is where we have to get very smart with soft skills of empathy and listening more than ever before not just in business but even with friends and family Likewise, we have to shift the things that we used to be doing. In other words, in the customer experience field, we're always getting feedback to drive improvements. So a company that's doing surveys, for example, switch it up, call your customers and do what we do is uh, peace of mind calls, my team Mm -hmm. and I. And we say to the customer, how are you doing? Are you okay? We're here for you. Instead of the normal script, during COVID, that's what the organization did. And it is so meaningful. And people remember that even when we're out of a pandemic. Yeah. And it it really makes a big difference. You know, we, we focused often on uh, looking at our people, um, you know, one-on-one. And I also sort of found during the pandemic that looking at my employee sets in small groups was really helpful um, and so like, you know, we think about, well, what do we do for our employees? Right. This, this is a huge group. And so you might hit the mark, right. With some of them and you might miss the mark with some of them. And we might 
kind of get it with others, but if we put them in like these groups of, okay, we had our, our family, we had our employees living in multi-generational families during the pandemic. We had people who were living alone. We had people who were living maybe just one other person. And we had uh, parents who were doing it all by themselves, right? Whether they were single parents, where they were, you know, together in the same house, but they had their kids and they had a homeschool and they had to do that. Right. And so we kind of put them in groups to try to figure out how could we best, you know, deal with their needs uh, based on what their new situation was. Is that the kind of thing that you want people to go back and do is to really think about it, you know, in super micro levels and then kind of pull back into a macro levels as well to kind of think about how do we help? Because I'm thinking some of them might be listening to what you said. Well, I can't call all my clients. I can't do how to do these with every one of my clients. So how do I think about them and, you know, more, more strategic ways? Yes, you have to divide and conquer. You can't do everything yourself, which customer experience is why I say to everybody, you have a customer experience job, the front line, the back office, and I help them understand. So people in finance, for example, they'll say, I don't, I don't have a customer experience job. And I said, oh yes, you do. Because if customers are frustrated paying their bill, guess what? It doesn't matter if the beginning of the customer journey was easy and great they're they're They have friction with paying their bill. And if they can't do it, they're going to leave. So, but to your question, what's really important and something that I learned by trial and error over the past year is doing things differently. And what I mean by that is with my team, we have one-on-ones and we have team meetings and there is no cookie cutter approach. So something we did at the height of when we were all quote alone is we read Simon Sinek's book, start with the why. And some people read it, some did audio. The reason why I tell you this is because when you actually help your people, your team, your colleagues, whomever it might be, understand their why. And then you as a leader, understand their why or help them figure out their why, what makes, what motivates them, then you Mm -hmm. could be a better leader and support them. So that was a very clear tactic. And there's many more to get to know your people, to have the empathy and lead with success. Yeah. And that's a great suggestion. I mean, you can have your team read that book. You can talk about what drives them and what's their why. Uh, I also find a lot of good value out of doing some of Brene Brown's book, right? Like how people identify what their values are, their personal values, and then talking about it amongst the team. And you realize where people are coming from and you know, that, that what kind of motivates them and why they make the decisions they make in a, in a good way. Right. So it really helps you get clarity. Why, why does someone care so much about this one thing? Well, okay, well, this is a real value for them. Um, and, and again, during the pandemic, I feel like we had a little more time you know, to do some of this stuff. Uh, Are you concerned that now that we're getting busier again, now that things just hope Delta doesn't, doesn't mess this up, but if we continue to get busier and busier, right. Things go back to normal a little bit more. Are we going to lose some of that? Are we going to, are we at danger of kind of going back, going backwards a little bit? I hope not. I encourage people. I myself will still be using my camera which before COVID didn't do very much. I will still be having these book clubs, uh, TED talk conversations with my team beyond the day-to-day work job so that we can bond and get to know each other. It's all related. And guess what? When they feel valued, included, and appreciated, the customer feels it too. 
Yeah. Well, one of the things I know you're very passionate about is diversity and inclusion. So maybe from your perspective, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you're doing and why that matters to you? Yes, it matters to me because a couple of reasons. One, my history and then my own career. So my history being my mother um, really inspired me. She was one of the first women on Wall Street. And I remember going to Wall Street with her as a kid. And I looked around and there were really no women there at all. And I didn't understand at the time, but later on, I realized what a change agent she was and how much I learned from her. And so it built my confidence up to be able to take chances and show up. And when I entered the corporate world right out of college, I was in a position where I had to really fake it till I made it. I, I really <laughs> didn't belong where I yeah. was in at AT&T at the time and in these big global accounts selling and it was technical. And I tell you this because over my career, I have had to learn how to figure it out. I've had to learn to voice when I wasn't invited to the room. And there's one incident not that many years ago where I saw my peers in a room, it was a glass room. So I could see the whiteboard and there were a, a bunch of people there talking about a project I was working on. I was not in the room. I was not invited. And so later I went to one of the people that I really trust. And I said, I just want you to know how I felt. And I advocated, I didn't change the outcome. I did for future, but that's right. where I learned that you have to voice in a very tactful way. It's how you say it, but that the, the times are changing. And so voice and be a leader and be inclusive. It's, it's human. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's one of the things we've been talking a lot about on this show with, with people is, you know, if you're going to have a meeting, you need to bring in the people who are going to, who are impacted by that decision, who can help you make that decision, who have something to learn from that decision, right? It's not just about bringing the few people that only have to be on that call, right? If we can group people up and think about it from a learning perspective, an information perspective, uh, an impact perspective, maybe you would have only had two or three people on the call. You can up that to five or seven and you could move information so much quicker. You can get decisions made better. The next person down the line who's responsible for taking your decision and then implementing it actually understands why they're doing what they have to do. Right. And so there's being handed this envelope and telling, go, go make this happen now. And they have no context, right. To things. So go ahead. Yeah. I hope that your listeners will take this very important advice watch Oprah Winfrey, whether you like her or not. She has a show called um, a featured show episode. She did called uncomfortable conversations. It is so good because she has people on her show really talk about as, as it, as it sounds uncomfortable, like let's bring the uncomfortable out. Let's see better. Let's hear better. And, and, and call out, what's not comfortable again it's how you do it it's how you say it not confrontational but educational that's how the movement happens yeah and 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 if you don't like oprah and that's okay i mean most people do but you can also maybe read something from kim scott like radical candor i mean those are kind of the same theme right how do we have 
a good place to have tough conversations to bring out uncomfortableness. And often that's a level of psychological safety. We have to really work with our teams to feel safe that if they disagree, it's okay. If they don't go along with the boss's plan, they're not going to get fired, right? That we can, they can be that person who says, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I think we should do this other thing. Yeah. You make a decision. Then ultimately everyone's got to be on board with that decision afterwards, but it's got to be okay to disagree, right? It's got to be okay to, to say, you know what, this just doesn't feel right to me. And here's why. And that we, the team or your, your, your boss or whoever can be willing to stop and have that conversation with you to make sure that they're not missing something. Right. Yes. And I think that is a really important point that as we, as we're in our new normal, we are used to physical safety and advocating for that in workplaces the psychological safety, the thing you can't see, the emotional safety is what we have to nurture and be really aware of. That's the opportunity. That's the good that could come out of the bad from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how do we take diversity and inclusion and then maybe link that to the customer experience? Yes. So, Our customers are are diverse, not just the employees we hire. So the appreciation of our customers, not just for signing the dotted line, not just for the money, but really as people, the relationships that you nurture, it is not based on just people who are like you. So you have to become aware. You have to see better because there are customers, there are employees, they're strangers all around us. And that's, it's, it's just intuitive. And I know that not everybody really embraces it, but that's the opportunity that they're everyone around us. Right. Right. Well, and I know for me, we were, we tried really hard for a long time to really focus on our clients first. And we did okay with that, Um, but I made a change. I made sort of a a strategic change in my own leadership at my company to really focus on my employees first and then allow them to focus where they need to focus, right? And it was sort of a shock to me how much better our customer service scores got, how much better our customer experience got, right? When I focused on helping them do their best, help them, you know, remove obstacles and deal with whatever things were in their way, they then could take their energy and spend it more on my clients. Is, is, Is that the way we need to advance you know, the customer experience with our engaged employees or there, or maybe you have sort of a, a more robust uh, explanation on what we should be doing. I believe you need an inside out approach in terms of, you know, we can't as human beings give to others unless we feel good ourselves. You can't give to a spouse. You can't give to your kids. You can't give to customers if you're not whole and you're healthy and you're content and satisfied. So yes, that makes sense. But so while there's the inside out perspective, when it comes to customer experience and product development and market messaging, that's an outside in, right? That can't come from pushing an agenda out. 
So that's where the customer feedback has to come in. So smart leaders know the inside out and the outside in and when to use which. Yeah, that's really important. And I, I'm not sure if everyone really understands when to turn that on or when to turn that off or which, which thing to kind of, to really leverage. And, you know, to your point, customer experience can be paying their bill. It can be placing an order. It can be, how do they get help? It can be, uh, you know, uh, w- maybe even just an online thing where they, uh, you know, an FAQ section where, you know, I've had clients that just want to go and read it themselves. They don't want anyone to talk to them. They just want to go read it. And other people are like, I need videos. And I, need, you know, so there's so many different ways in which people want to interact or they want to have their questions to figure out how to get their questions answered, I think. So, uh, and other people just want their hands to be held the entire way through and, <laughs> and figuring all that out, it can be difficult. Um, you know, especially if you have clients across the country, across the globe, um, and you have different, uh, you know, small, medium, large, but there's just, it can get really, really complex for a lot of people. So I think it's a good way of thinking about it or breaking it down. Yes. And I was just going to say, what an opportunity if you were designing the customer journey as you were describing how they learn, buy, get, use. If you did it with all the departments, even if it's a party of one, but each person from the department, you bring it together, you design it together, and then you validate what you designed with real customers. Then everybody feels involved, engaged, and they deliver on it. Yeah, yeah. And I, and that's going to be really, I think, so, so important. We, I, I sort of blame, or maybe we should say I, I reward Apple. Um, they made the user experience so seamless at some point, but they just got to be where you just expected something to do something in such few amount of steps, right? And to be so easy and so effortless that it's really put an incredible amount of pressure on anybody else. I mean, if you're, if your product isn't easy, doesn't just open up and do the things you expect it to do in, in a few steps, people think it's difficult. Um, and yet you could look at a couple pieces of, you know, of software or products just a year or two behind that. And there was like 19 steps to get something done. It was so un- unintuitive, right? It was so bad. And we put up with it. And then all of a sudden Apple went, no, here, only have one button to push, right? Or no button to push or... <laughs> And, no button. Yes. Yeah. Um, which almost broke people's minds for a while, but yeah. And, <laughs> and so then that puts a lot of pressure on all of us, right. To, to make our experiences a lot better. Well, not only is it level of effort, which is tremendous and every company absolutely has to strive for that and measure that. But the other thing about Apple is that they do wow moments. So when I just bought a recent um, uh, iPad, they gave me 30 minutes to, to sign up for some, a free class, you know, call me, not even a class coaching 30 minutes. We'll walk you through your new product. I mean, brilliant at the time I want it. (laughs) That's a wow moment. Anybody can do that. It doesn't cost that much money. Yeah. Yeah. And well, an Apple can afford it, but yeah, everyone can find ways to, uh, you know, to make that experience good. And maybe it's not a live person, but maybe it's a video. Maybe it's uh, a good set of instructions, maybe whatever. I mean, there's a lots of ways different companies can do it. So um, I do want to make sure we have time to ask you our two favorite questions. And the first one is, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people should check out? I do. 
Um, there's many. I have a lot of favorite authors and friends who are authors, but I will say the one that I'm used to saying, which is the four agreements. The four agreements is really how I live my life. And it's the basis is that there's four principles. It's um, don't make assumptions. Don't take things personally. Be impeccable with your words and always do your best. And I've written an article that's a that's really a more of a self-help book, but I translated into customer experience, those principles. So I recommend people either read my blog article and apply it or read the book. And it's just life-changing. Yeah, that's a great, great, great book. So I'm so happy that you brought it up. We'll certainly put that in the a link to that on Twitter and in uh, on LinkedIn Live. So if you don't remember it or you couldn't jot it down, um, it'll be there for you waiting. But um, final question, how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you if they're interested in you or learning more about you or working with you? What's the best way for them to do that? I appreciate that. So doing cxright.com, it has all my articles. Every single one of them has actionable tips. They're all free to apply. They're easy, low level of effort. Um, My newsletter, I welcome you to subscribe and my podcasts and mentorship, a lot of ways to connect with me and learn. So I welcome it. Stacy, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and being such a great guest. And hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us some more fantastic insights into the world of customer experience. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in my second guest, Jennifer Zeminski. <music> Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that PeopleG2 offers something different. At PeopleG2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Stacey Sherman, you can listen to her interview. You can find it on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever we are. We're all over the place. Uh, and we'll have the podcast, of course, also made. That'll be on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. You can go to TalentTalkRadio.com. You can even go to my website, chrisdyer.com. There's like a gazillion ways. I'm probably giving you too many options, but wherever you feel like digesting uh, the show, we are there. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about my next guest. I'm going to bring in uh, Jennifer Zemiski, a founder and president at Well Run Concepts, Inc. Don't forget, we are live tweeting right now uh, at PeopleG2 on Twitter. We're also putting those comments into the LinkedIn Live uh, area. So if you want to interact with us there, ask questions, uh, tell us we're right, tell us we're wrong, whatever you think, uh, you can do that there in real time or catch it after the fact as well. So, uh, but Jennifer, let's go ahead and bring you in the show. Welcome. How are you today? Doing great, Chris. Thank you. How about yourself? 
Doing well. It's always a good day when I get to talk to smart people and learn something. So I'm happy to have you here. And maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about you, about your background and what's important for us to know about you. Excellent. Well, thank you again for having me on the show. And a little, I'll start with a little personal information. So I'm married. I have two teenagers. I live in Ocala, Florida, which is the horse capital of the world. And we moved here about 16 years ago from Santa Barbara. So kind of in your neck of the woods uh, here in in California. So I started this business, Well Run Concepts, uh, 25 years ago. So in 1997, uh, I came upon some scientifically validated tools that I said, this is the silver bullet to unlock uh, productivity and to be able to help teams be high performing. So we use a number of validated assessment tools to do that. Um, I know everybody I'm sure has heard of the DISC. You know, we've done DISC Mm -hmm. for 25 plus years. But in addition to that, we need, when we talk about performance, we need to know other important areas, such as what motivates the employees. And I know you were talking earlier with Stacy about customer service and she mentioned empathy. Well, empathy is one of the big skills, the EQ skills that we measure. And in today's world, we're also focusing a lot on adaptability. So that's more than you were talking about earlier in the show. So those are some tools that we use to help define and develop top talent. So let's maybe start at the top here. You know, um, it's often the CEO's uh, job to create the strategic direction to bring in the right people to help uh, you know her or him decide on what people to then hire or, or, or what to focus on. So you know with everything going on in this sort of unusual world, what are maybe some of the current challenges you're seeing that CEOs are facing right now? Yes, um, you know I do work with top leaders so I get privy to hear kind of their uh, deepest, darkest, <laughs> secrets and fears, and I won't name any names, but these are the top three, you know, that I want to pass on today. You know, number one, they are struggling with remote work teams and team cohesion. I mean, that's their biggest struggle. Um, What they're finding is they're having a hard time leading those teams. They lack confidence that the teams are going to be able to meet the goals and be productive. And then thirdly, you know, it's kind of the same old thing that there's team conflicts that stem from people problems, but it seems to be more uh, exacerbated by the remote and not, you know, being together physically. So those are really the top three things that I'm hearing today that are keeping the CEOs up at night. Yeah. And those are, those are some big concepts and, uh, I do a lot of work and consulting in that area as well. So certainly th- I would wholeheartedly agree with your assessment there of what, you know, CEOs and even senior leaders are sort of saying. I mean, there's a new way to do it. And a lot of them are trying to do it the old way, uh, which isn't going to work. <laughs> um, I think the old way didn't really even work that well to begin with. And then you throw people at home and you remove the being together part, you have to find a new way to to collaborate, a new way to work, a new set of rules, a new way to create psychological safety and a new way to deal with conflict, right? I think uh, a lot of what is we were really, uh, I don't wanna say lazy, but it was maybe just 
you could look at somebody right in a meeting and you could thought you could tell whether or not they agreed, whether or not they were engaged, right? And now we're all in Zoom and we're like in this little box and right, you can't see if someone's arms and legs are crossed, right? And you can't see if, you know, maybe they're kind of constantly moving or whatever. I mean, there's just, there's a certain signs. So there's new ways to do that. I actually think some better ways with remote work, but are you, is that what you're kind of seeing that they're, they need new ways, they need new uh, sort of strategies to do this, or is it just a matter of them getting more comfortable with it? Well, it's probably both. One, they probably have to get more comfortable with it and they, re they need to have a mind shift and think differently and be more flexible. Um, that That's definitely part of it. But what the big rub is that's happening is, is that's not what employees don't want to return to the office. You know, the number top three things. So we have the three things that the CEOs want, but the three things that the employees are wanting, including um, senior managers that have been working remote, is they are wanting to stay remote or they're wanting mm -hmm. to stay hybrid. They're wanting more flexible hours and they're wanting more vacation pay. So we, we've got a real conflict here because the CEOs are struggling with this remote work and, and they're wanting people to get back. But the employees are saying, we're not planning to come back. We right. don't want to come back. So somewhere we're going to have to have a shift. You know, we're going to have to figure out how are the CEOs going to become more comfortable and do maybe a better job, including the senior leaders um, with managing remotely. And then, you know, how are the, you know, how are the employees going to also maybe be able to um, open themselves up to some new ways as well? So right. that's the conflict we have going on. And you certainly talked about the you know, a lot of employees saying, I don't I don't want to go back. I mean, this was this was my experience in 2009. We went fully remote, not knowing if we would keep it forever or not. But two weeks in, everyone called me and said, that's it. I love it. This is fantastic. I don't ever want to have to come back in the office. Please don't ever make us go back. <laughs> and it was like, okay, you guys love it. Cool. Let's figure out how to make this permanent. Let's do this forever. Cause we did it more just to, to survive the, the recession. We did it to cut costs. We didn't really do it as a strategy for engagement or culture or anything. It was like, like, Hey guys, let's save money and not have to lay anybody off. Um, and then we discovered how much better we liked working this way. But are there maybe some other issues that you're hearing um, around this? Do we stay remote? Do we come back to the office? Do we do hybrid? I mean, what else are you sort of hearing around this? Yes, well, this is interesting. I did a post on LinkedIn about a month ago that really got a lot of interaction. And the, here's where the mind shift needs to happen. So the old way, the kind of the old model that we used to measure success was, you know, 50% was what was our job title and 50% was how much money do we make? But the new model is completely different. If you think of a piece of a pie, that was the graphic I used, you know, 25% people are saying my mental health. 25% they're saying my physical health. Another almost 25% they're saying um, work that I enjoy. Yeah. And we're, then we've got free time. And less than 20% of the pie now, not 100%, is what's my job title and how much money am I making? 
Yeah. Okay. So if that's what's going on, what this is creating, and this is kind of getting to the white elephant, is there's a huge amount of workplace stress going on. And that's the other piece of this. Not only is are the CEOs stressed out because of what we talked about, the employees are stressed out because they're saying, hey, I, I don't have plans to go back. And I'm sure you've heard about the great um, resignation mm-hmm. that's happening right now, which they're predicting up to 40 percent of of the workforce is going to be shuffling. They're going to be leaving their current job if it's not the way that they want it to be. Now looking at this new model we just talked about, and they're going to go somewhere else. So we're looking at a huge shift and we're not even talking about the workforce shortage. We're just talking about reshuffling the people that want to work. So there's a lot of stress that's going on. And that's really kind of another topic that I think we have to address um, within teams. And we use an assessment to do that because we need to be able to measure um, what is going on. And, and, and you'll love this because this speaks to culture, but you know the current statistics right now, and by the way, the US is doing the worst. So there was a Gallup study and workplace stress and US was the most stressed out of all the workers. And just some current statistics are that, you know, 83% of U.S. workers are stressing right now um, about their about their workplace stress. Uh, up to a million people a day call in sick in the U.S. Less than 50% of the workers feel that their company cares about their work-life balance. So, you know, stress is good and motivating to a point. But when it becomes excessive, then it becomes crippling. And these are the four areas that we're hearing about. So, of course, we know the physical symptoms of stress, you know, illness. Um, a big one that people talk about that I hear again is, you know, they have low energy. But let's talk about the other issues, which the emotional stress is really um, kind of ramping up. So we're not only dealing with the pandemic, but then people are feeling overwhelmed, overwhelmed in their personal life and overwhelmed in their work life. And what does that lead? That leads to impairment in their cognitive functions. And the number one thing that I hear mostly is their inability to concentrate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's not helping these numbers about, you know, not meeting goals and productivity and cohesion. Okay, so the the thing to do is really to look at um, how is the stress affecting the workplace, affecting productivity. And so we can measure it in seven ways. Demand, and that's a big one. So are the demands too big on the group? What is the reward in their effort? What is their ability to control? What is their um, organizational changes that are going on? Uh, This is a big one. What is the relationship with their manager? Also, you have social support and you have job security. So these are some things that we can look at to help address what are we going to do about this big situation. And and a lot of uh, noticing a lot of employees 
are sort of coming in with a baseline level of stress that is higher than maybe it has been in the past, certainly as a, as a group of people. Um, you know, we have the pandemic, we have uh, change, you know, a lot of political things that were happening, a lot of social uh, causes and a lot of social issues that are happening in our country that are causing, and it does seem like the, the barrier between uh, personal and uh, professional conversations around some of the stuff have really gone down. So now those conversations have bled into work, which is probably a very good thing, but there isn't really a place for, I think, anyone to, to relax right now, right? I mean, stress is higher just in general, and then you have so much unknown, and then I think some of that gets automatically just sort of thrown at work amongst everything else happening at work, right? And so a lot of organizations that are looking at this holistically and helping their people manage their stress and manage what's going on, you know, overall, everywhere, not just how do I help you while you're at work, right? But how do I help you deal with what's going on in your life, period? Maybe you have, uh, you know, family members that are sick with COVID. You know, how do I help you with that? How do I help you manage what's going on in your life? As opposed to how do I just help you on this one project that's stressing you out, right? It can't be that micro. Right. Um, did you agree that there's sort of this, I don't know, hopefully maybe this little chunk of stress that might go away at some point that will get a little reprieve? No, I feel that, you know, I've been working with, uh, you know, executives and leaders for 25 years. So, I mean, I've had a lot of experience of seeing them up close and there's a, a feeling of, of just complete overwhelm. That's, that's the best word I can describe it. And I work with um, companies everywhere, globally. So I have European clients, I have national clients. It doesn't seem to matter where they are. You know, it's not like regional. We're in the past. There was, um, you know, maybe a regional situation going on. And, but no, this is everywhere. Um, it's male and female, um, it's high level employees, it's, it's staff members, it's, it's everyone. And I can't say that ever in 25 years of doing this, I have ever seen this kind of sense of everybody feels overwhelmed with their life, let alone what they have to accomplish at work every day. Yeah, it, it, it certainly, in my, in my lifetime, I think in just about everyone else's lifetime, it's that first sort of really high level of acute stress that maybe our grandparents would, would recognize more, right, during World War II, right? They might, rec or maybe our parents might recognize from the Vietnam War, those, that sort of high stress that comes from an outside place that we can't, don't know what to deal with. But it's certainly the first time that being, you know, you're, you're sort of restricted on where you can travel, you're restricted on what you can do, right? For no fault of your own, nothing you've done, just suddenly the world isn't gonna cooperate the way you want it to. And how do we deal with that, right? Um, are there strategies or the things that you, you know, typically suggest that your clients think about doing to, to overcome some of this or to help their people, you know, overcome some of this? Yes, I think what the assessment does is it pinpoints the stress. See, everyone's feeling this general overwhelm and this general feeling of stress, but we can't really pinpoint it, especially at work. I mean, sometimes you say, yeah, it's my boss. You know, I can't stand my boss. But really, there's there's so much more complexity 
in our world today that we can't really figure out what is stressing me out about my job or about this culture. So what I like about this tool is that you can you can separate it out. So the leader can take one that looks at what leaders face and what stresses them. You know, the employees take one that what may be stressing them. And then the coolest part, and you'll love this, Chris, with your work with culture, is you can do it anonymously. Mm. And that's the way we suggest so that the individual gets the report, but not even their boss, so that we're really getting true data. And we can look and see, you know, how do the managers feel? How do the staff levels feel? And, and then specifically, what's the problem? Is it a cultural problem? Is it a demand problem? Is it a people problem? You know, what is the problem? And once we can see it, we can diagnose it. Now we can go to work to address it. You know, and I've said for 25 years, if you're not using diagnostic tools in coaching and selection, it's malpractice. You, you've got to know what you're dealing with. We can't just say, well, it kind of feels or looks this way, you know, even based on my experience, we got to say, this is what is going on. Now we can see the problem. Now let's come up with a plan to fix the problem. Yeah, I mean, we could easily use the transfer this example to, to medical, right? We could say a doctor has a lot of experience and may have a general sense of where it might, might be going on, but they still run a blood test, they still do an x-ray, they still do an MRI, still do these things to really get more information and to really understand what they're dealing with, despite what their hunch might tell them, despite what their experience might tell them, because there's things all the time that happen you just don't expect. And I can totally agree with you. I've had assessments come back on employees and I was like, I did not expect that at all. I didn't even realize that they were, you know, this much a potential leader or this adverse to leadership or, you know, whatever that was telling me. Um, and you could make such simple changes uh, to really help that person and to really help the organization uh, be more successful with that employee and just to have everybody end up in a better place, which I think is what everybody wants anyways. We, we, we don't want people to leave. We don't want people to have a bad experience. We don't, we don't want to hire you to have you show up and, and hate your job, um, or we wouldn't have hired you. <laughs> well, I want to make sure we ask our final couple questions here before we run out of time. Um, what book are you reading these days, or what book do you typically suggest people check out that our listeners might uh, go pick up? Yes, so I've got a couple here sitting on my desk. So this one is by um, Dr. Steven Stein, Hardiness, Making Stress Work for You to Achieve Your Life Goals. Hardiness, okay. And Dr. Stein, he is the one of the world leaders on emotional intelligence. And hardiness for everybody, whether you're a leader or not, is an excellent choice. And then we were talking about emotional intelligence today, and I think that is absolutely a key when we talk about the CEOs being adaptable. This one, he also wrote um, the EQ leader and it's instilling passion, creating shared goals, building meaningful organizations through emotional intelligence. So both of those are a Wiley read, Dr. Steven Stein. Um, and it really speaks to one of the skills I think we can all improve on and, and it falls under the emotional intelligence is adaptability. 
And, you know, we, you know, we know Angela Duckworth's work in um, grit and resilience. Well, it's the same thing. Adaptability is going to be a key in how are we going to reduce our stress? And so that is a skill to learn, to become more flexible. And that is, you know, probably one of the keys that I'd like to, you know, to leave you with is that working on some of our skills is going to help reduce our stress, which is going to help this problem. Final question. Most important question, of course, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more if they'd like to work with you and your organization? Yes. So um, our website, well-runresources.com. So that's W-E-L-L with a hyphen, R-U-N, resources.com. That's our newer site. We've had an old site up for 20-something years called well-run.com. Both of them have lots of information. Of course, LinkedIn, you know, I've been on LinkedIn for years. A lot of the stuff we talked about today, CEOs, stress report, engagement ideas, I post all that stuff on LinkedIn so people can, can look there and get more information or message me there as well. And if anyone is uh, name challenged like I am, uh, it's Jennifer, traditional spelling, and then her last name is spelled Z-A-M-E-C-K-I. And you can find her on LinkedIn or all the other websites that she mentioned. But Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're a fantastic guest. We all, I'm sure we all learned a lot. I know I learned a lot um, and would love to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the awesome stuff that you're doing. Well, thank you, Chris, and I enjoy your show. Thank you so much. And hopefully everyone else gains something they can use in their own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 